there are flies that work well, but it's also presentation and finding the right fish and reading body language and all that kind of stuff. But the more you understand their behaviors and what they like, and this is going back to muskies, that was the big thing for me, not being afraid to fail. And, and muskies is all about failing. You know, another part of my life, I was a, a big golfer growing up and golf is all about failure. It's 90% failure, then you have success. You know, That's one game that you'll never master and fishing, I don't think you'll ever master it either, but you could get very good at it. Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective podcast. Brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Traeger Grills, Costa Sunglasses, Turtle Box Audio, and Orvis Fly Fishing. In today's episode, we sit down with Blaine Chocolate, notable guide, fly tire, and inventor of the popular game changer pattern. In this podcast, Blaine shares with us his upbringings in Virginia, where the nearby mountains and waterways served as a classroom, which helped shape him into who he is today. We also talked about his relationship with Larry Dahlberg and Lefty Cray, who encouraged him to take organization more seriously and to pass his knowledge down to the next generation. Blaine shares the secret to a great fly pattern is one that solves a real problem, as well as giving us an in-depth dive into the world of musky fishing. We hope that you enjoy. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. Beep, 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 beep. No one else knew anything anyway, and you're just might, definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? That's so look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. Well, hey, Blaine, thanks so much for giving us some time today and, and hopping on the podcast, man. I'm really excited to have you on. I've followed you for, for a while now, and you're, you're really the first person who, who really dedicates a lot of time to muskie, so I'm excited to talk about that and the different areas that you fish. Uh, but before all that, I'd love to hear about kind of your upbringing, fishing the streams and rivers around Blue Ridge, mountains up in Virginia, and just like to hear about those early days of your life and kind of how that shaped you into who you are today. Sure. First off, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, it's uh, I am in the in the heart of muskie season right now. We just uh, getting over this giant storm that we all just got this past weekend. So uh, I actually mm-hmm. have a client that's uh, waiting on me. We're gonna do a half day today and uh, try to get after it, but it's kind of letting it warm up a little bit. It's in the low twenties right now, so. So, uh, you know, living here in uh, Virginia, southwest part of the state, uh, you know, we have a, a whole variety of different options as, a, as an angler goes. And, you know, it's, it's very rural, obviously, but um, we have kind of the best of both worlds. We have, you know, decent sized cities, really good stuff to go do. Um, it's kind of like a perfect environment to grow up as a, 
as an outdoorsman. Um, I love I love where I live. I've been to a lot of places uh, in the world and um, in our country, and always come back here appreciating where I grew up. Um, it's it's taught me a ton of stuff about fishing and fish behavior. Um, you know, I, I I do I live outside of Roanoke, Virginia, in a little town called Troutville, um, which is kind of cool, mm. being that I'm an angler. And uh, you know, I did I I cut my teeth uh, learning how to fish uh, trout fishing in our mountains. Uh, you know, being in the the Blue Ridge Mountains here, we have just countless. Uh, native brook trout streams here we have uh, a couple tailwaters uh, the Jackson and Smith rivers that I learned how to fool wild trout on and um, you know the native streams of what I grew up starting and learned how to fly fish with my granddad and my dad and mm. it, and it was it, it was really eye-opening at nine years old to uh, to see what we had here be able to see magazine articles and stuff about fly fishing um, and it, it just sparked, a uh, an interest in me at an early age. And, um, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better place to learn the art of fishing, not just fishing, but fly fishing. That's kind of what grabbed me early on. But, uh, I've always liked to know a little bit about all the, the different parts of fishing, um, whether it be live bait, um, artificials, you know, you name it, bait casts and spinning rods and obviously fly. But uh, it, it, this is a great area to do that because we have some of the best uh, warm water fishing here uh, in the country, uh, smallmouth bass and muskie. It's what I'm doing now. And um, we're really close to the, to the ocean and tidal areas where we get migratory striped bass spawns in the spring. Um, you know, we have awesome lakes, Smith Mountain Lakes, about 15 minutes from my house where I can go target all types of warm water fish, including landlocked stripers, which is a lot of fun on fly. Mm. Uh, so this was a, an unbelievable classroom for me to learn all the different aspects of, of, of fishing. Um, and as a fly tire, um, that was very important in my growth as an angler too. And we can kind of get involved in that as if you want. Um, it's pretty interesting stories behind all that. I've kind of not kind of have been very blessed in my life to uh, trip over myself and fall in the right spots and meeting people at the right time in my my career to uh, kind of help bring me along to where I am today. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, that, that really is kind of, in, from my experience, an area that has a lot to offer, but it, it, it seems to get overlooked just with so much focus going towards, you know, Montana and Florida and those types of places. But you know, you said something really interesting earlier that, that I wanted to circle back on. You're talking about that it was a great place to cut your teeth and, and you were calling it a classroom. What types of things as a kid did you experience that you felt like were really shaping, shaping elements for you? As a kid, um, you know, opening day of trout season um, back then, that's what we had. And the first time I ever went, it was with my dad and grandfather. And, you know, uh, thankfully, my, my dad uh, got some property in the mountains, uh, when I was young in kindergarten and, um, we moved there, um, as I was going into first grade and, um, it happened to be only about five miles or so from my grandfather. Um, so I remember getting up early, um, this, and this is ingrained in my memory, um, and always will, uh, getting up before dawn and going to my grandfather's house and have my grandmother having, breakfast ready for us to take on the road sausage and mm. 
um, bacon biscuits and stuff like that. And, and then we had the Blue Ridge Parkway in our backyard pretty much. And, uh, we would take the Blue Ridge Parkway, um, to one of our, one of these trout streams, which happens to be Jennings Creek, North Creek and Cornelius Creek, um, all these little tributaries to Jennings Creek. And, um, you know, on our way, we would, we would have these, uh, this memory that I'll never forget. My grandfather talking about, um, my dad when he was my age and him taking him hunting and fishing and, you know, just seeing the sun rising over the mountains uh, as they, they tell you those stories and it's, it's, mm. it, you know, seeing all that stuff and hearing these stories from them, it just kind of brought, brought you into that. And you, I could imagine it and just, you know, seeing the area that I grew up in and knowing my dad grew up in the same deal and my grandfather being a turkey hunter and loving the outdoors, um, telling those stories as we went to my first experience trout fishing and then getting there. And, um, and of course we had to wait till noon. Uh, we'd get there at daylight, you know, just shortly after daylight, it was about a 45 minute drive on the parkway and to an hour and we'd get there and then you had to wait three or four hours. It's kind of like sitting in front of the Christmas tree at, 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 as a mm. kid waiting to be able to open <laughs> up your presents. Right. So, <laughs> so we'd pick up these spots and, you know, you, you know, I learned very early on, uh, using a fly rod, we didn't use flies, uh, during those opening days, but I did use a fly rod and it taught me very early on about, you know, using, um, whether it be worms or whatnot, but being on those trout streams and having those plunge pools and those ripples. And, you know, uh, I, it taught me how to read water and, and fish effectively, uh, which is technically that style of fishing back then and didn't realize it but now it's very popular is that, uh, check nymphing, um, that tight, mm. tight line nymphing is basically, um, uh, how you would bait fish with a fly rod, um, without fly line. And it, it allows you to have drag free drifts. You're connected to, um, your artificial or your live bait. And, um, I noticed early on, once I got to do that with my granddad, he showed me how to do it and present it right to where I'd get the best drag free drift. And, and it, would be pre presented naturally to the trout. And, um, if you didn't do it right, you didn't catch them. And if you did it right, you, you had success. And, uh, I learned early on too, that I didn't like the crowds and, and, mm. and my grandfather told me he knew I was into fly and he knew I wanted to catch a fish on a fly. So after, after we caught our limited trout, you know, I would ask him to take me up into, the native part of the streams, which was special mm. regulations. And you could only you, single hook, barbless, all that kind of stuff. And he took me after that to catch my first brook trout, native brook trout on a fly. And, uh, you know, that, that taught me a lot as well. You know, the, my first mm. trout was only about five inches long, but on a fly, um, but it was, I'll never forget it, you know? Um, so it, it you know, it, it's really a, a great way to be able to first fly fish, one but those memories that are instilled from my grandfather and my dad you just you can't you can't uh get a better way to grow up and and living in these mountains and starting early and and that's kind of what i'm doing with my 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 daughter what i did with her when she was little but now with my five-year-old son and instilling um understanding nature and and appreciating it and getting him out in it as much as possible and this whole covid thing really allowed me to do that with him at a crucial age and you know I 
Hmm. Being a five-year-old, he's wide open, uh, especially boy. And the only way, only place where he, I'm not like stop, 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 stop. You know that kind of a deal is when I'm out there with him on the water. He's just at home and very at peace, which I think hmm. is a very important thing for kids. And, I, uh, and unfortunately, the hustle and bustle of a lot of people uh, and their jobs, they're, they're not allowed to, they're not able to do that. And the one thing I will say about how COVID really helped it, it allowed us all to slow down and really appreciate what life's really all about. Hmm. Yeah, that ties well too to something I wanted to talk about. And I've thought a lot about, I think, just raising kids myself is you hear this conversation a lot of nature versus nurture. And there's these things that are natural and aid. And then there's these things that are nurtured within us. And it's kind of interesting just over the years and in my life talking to people, I think they draw lines about what's nature and what's nurtured a little bit differently. And I'm just curious to you, as you look back at your upbringing and you look at your kids today, what are those things that need to be, you know, nurtured in them? And then what do you feel like are things that just have to be naturally there and instinctive? Sure. Um, Well, I think for one, you either love the outdoors or you don't, you know, you're either what I would say city or your, uh, country. And, um, mm. and it's okay not, not to want to be outside in the elements. Um, I think, uh, I've always felt, you know, being that this, this is what I was born to do. I've always felt that, um, I feel really sorry for people that never get to experience and see the things that I've seen in my life. And mm. I think if more people were able to see these things, they would, appreciate what we have instead of letting a lot of it go which you know as we as we all know we're having issues all over the world um Mm -hmm. with with water quality or environmental changes or whatnot but um it it, you know we all have to do better obviously on that's a whole other story but uh it, it you know um i think it puts you in a place where uh teaches you patience teach you to respect things and it it allows you to kind of um not look through keyholes. And I'll, I'll mention that a lot today. Um, I've been mentored by several people, but one in particular is Larry Dahlberg. And, uh, he always told me not to look through keyholes and, and not just keyholes in fishing, but in life. Um, if you look through a small hole, you only see a small part of the world. So it's always important to look at everything around you. And I, and I try to instill that in my kids and make sure that they see all sides of things and not one-sided, you know, there's all, mm. all, there's all kinds of different ways to read, read what you see. And, and but if mm. you, if you stand back and really study it, um, it, it really will teach you a whole lot more instead of rushing in and going at it and not looking around. Yeah. Th- I think that's a great illustration for something that, that really, I think it's overlooked in a lot of conversations too, but I'm curious cause you know, you had mentioned Larry and I know you had a relationship with Lefty Cray and just thinking about nature and and nurture. And obviously you've been fortunate to have some relationships with some of the best in the industry. What are some of the big lessons that they've taught you that right now in in this season of your life that you're really trying to pass on to others as, as you have a moment where there's a lot of people looking to you? Yeah. Well, one of the biggest things Lefty always taught was always share your knowledge, not don't don't always display it. I mean, there's times where you can show what you know and, and show if you're happen to be a great caster or whatever. It's nice to show it, but it's better to to share it and, and not try to say, look at me. You know, it's it's important to me to stay humble and and, and try to make the fly fishing 
industry better than what it was before I got there and tried to make it grow and make it healthier. You know, that, that was mm-hmm. one thing that Lefty always wanted. He always wanted to share what he'd learned and he was always happy to take time for anybody that came to see him or, or whatnot. And I try to make sure I do that. Um, mm. That's probably one of the most important lessons I learned from him. The other one, and I'm still working on it is he told me to try to get organized and me being an art artist, <laughs> that's, it's not good for me to, because I'm an artist. And the, mm. you know, one of the first times he invited me up to his house, uh, Lefty was very organized and uh, he, he sat me and my wife down and he, 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 described her of me to a T, um, saying this is probably how he is. This is probably what his behind desk looks like. This is probably what his fishing area looks like. And she was just rolling, dying, laughing because he had me down and never being at my house before knew exactly what it all looked like. And it was a mess, but it's organized chaos is what I always call it. But, um, Mm -hmm. but I've tried over the years to really, um, try to stay organized as possible and in the companies that I'm blessed to work with have helped in that. Um, you know, but, uh, another really important thing that lefty taught me too, is especially since I don't have another job. Um, you know, I'm a full-time guide lefty always instilled in me that he wanted to make sure that I had my hands in a couple different avenues in the industry. Um, so when something wasn't working, I could make money at something else. Uh, for example, mm. of learn how to take good photos. And he, you know, he would teach me how to take, you know, Lefty was an unbelievable photographer and he actually taught National Geographic uh, students. I mean, he, um, he was, a, a, um, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, an ambassador for them to be able to teach photography with Nikon and some of these other mm. deals. and. You know, he would, he taught me how to take really good photos and, uh, my editor, uh, Jay Nichols, who's also, um, a very close friend with Lefty, uh, has instilled in me too, to make sure you take the time if you catch a fish to capture that moment. And, um, I try to do that so you can sell photos. Uh, it's another way to Mm -hmm. make a living, um, start writing and, you know, the, the first time, um, I went up to Lefty's house uh, with my wife. He, when I got there, he said, we're going to go to lunch and we're going to go to lunch with a friend of mine. It happened to be Jay Nichols. And, um, hmm. and he said, when we leave there, you're going to have a book contract. So, you know, it took a lot longer than Lefty wanted for me to get my first book out. But uh, that was another avenue of being able to, to make money in the industry. And obviously my fly designs are a big part of that. And I've also have been blessed with, the ability to be able to create products. Um, something that, that I really enjoy doing is, and I learned this very, very early on in my fishing career, um, about 15, 16 years old is, um, how important flies are in the designs of flies and how fish react positively or negatively to that. And, um, so that uh, was an early lesson that I learned from Harrison Steves, who's a phenomenal trout angler and designer. And, uh, what I was able to take from that moment when I was very, very young at 15 years old and, and learned how important, uh, the right flies were and not only, you know, present presentation, but how important the flies were instilled in me early on. And ever since then, using my art ability, um, 
I just had this knack of understanding fish and fish behavior and not only mm-hmm. from the artistic side of it, but just taking the time and learning early on to study what's going on, you know? And, um, so that's a big part of my life, obviously with my fly designs, uh, first with Umqua Feather Merchants, which I, who I was with for almost 20 years, probably from like 98 to, uh, around 2000. 15, something like that. Uh, wow. 16, something, I don't know. It's, it was with them for a while. Um, 18, something like that. And now with Flyman Fishing Company and, and being able to get royalties on fly designs. Um, for me, that's important, obviously, to make a living. But more importantly, to me, it's about cracking the code or solving those, those problems. And, you know, so if I have a problem that I need to solve, and Silly Skin is a perfect example one of my first flies that was successful was a gummy minnow and Mm -hmm. and that was a whole thing where we i had to create a material to get the finished result of the fly and um so i'm not afraid to think outside the box and and not looking through keyholes and try to figure out a better solution to the problem and you know meeting uh like i said falling over myself and meeting people at the right time bob popovics i met him 20 some years ago around 97 um and he, he was very polite and very happy to help me as, as a young, young adult. Um, he, he told me one of the most valuable things he taught me was a great fly design comes from problem solving. If you have a problem mm-hmm. that you're seeing on the water, um, you take that and you, you build on it. So what can you do to make the flies or, or whatever better? And uh, how, how do you do that? And so it's, it's, it's observation, keeping your eyes open. All that ties into that nature nurture thing too. You know, so mm-hmm. um, that's been a huge part of my life, and I, and I've always tried to make sure my daughter sees that, and my son sees it now. I mean, even though he's he's bouncing off the walls, his favorite thing to do <laughs> uh, when we get out on the water is catch crayfish and catch minnows, and he'll mm-hmm. he'll spend hours doing that, like a like a, a heron. It's unbelievable to watch how he does. <laughs> I mean, um, so he's fearless on that side of it. He would rather do that mm. than actually fish, uh, which is, mm. that, that's great. And I, that's what we do, was we'll pull off to the side of the river, and he'll wait around and catch 20, 30, 40 crayfish. And my biggest problem is make, getting him to decide to let him go before we go home. You know, he's, mm. he's always wanting to bring him back, which, which I have to instill in him. It's like these, these things need to stay here so you can come catch them again the next time we come. You know, um, mm. it's that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's a... Uh, it's, uh, I think it's been a, a really great environment that I grew up in and, and was instilled in early on in my life. And, uh, you know, I would never change that. And I'm very blessed to be able to have that to share to my kids. I can, I can totally relate to that. And I, I was, uh, I was chasing bait and, and goofing off all my dad fish long beyond five years old. Right. <laughs> so I think, I think he's in a, I think he's definitely in a very similar place that a lot of us started, which is just enjoying it and being kind of caught up in what's happening around you. And, and I, it's great to get a chance just to hear a little bit too about, about your family life. Something I wanted to circle back on that you know, in thinking about that, that organizational piece. And, you know, I've, I, I, you don't meet a lot of people who, who, uh, have the, the boldness to say, I, I think I'm super well organized. Cause they're always worried about, I think we're all always worried about somebody just kind of knowing something, you know, the email or this or this that you forgot to do or 
whatever. But really, I mean, obviously, like most people, they want to be more organized and on top of the things that they're doing. What are some things that you have learned along the ways as you've tried to to be more organized in your angling and and tying and really just all areas of life? Trust me, I am not the person uh, that I would would say follow um, as far as that goes. Uh, I don't even have a website right now. So if that tells you one thing... But, um, you know, uh, thankfully that uh, I've been blessed enough in my life to be successful on the water and, and been able to meet the right people that's helping me, even though I trip over myself constantly. Um, that's something I am trying. You know, I, I, I know my limitations and uh, organization is not one of them, um, but it's that is a goal to get better at. And I try to. But being pulled in all these different directions, being on the, like being on the water. I overbooked myself this winter for muskie. I have a hard time saying no. And um, mm. I ended up booking every day from late November through the middle to end of March, um, which I didn't even give myself a day off other than weather, which mm-hmm. is probably not a healthy thing to do, especially when you're in the environment every day. Um, and to be honest, I really needed this weather event that we just had because I was exhausted. And, mm. uh, you know, but, but, you know, going back to that, I mean, I, you know, I'm not um, not being unappreciative of, of having the opportunity to work every day, but it it's one of those things where um, to to be organized and to be able to return emails or or you know uh, get on the social networks and seeing where somebody reached out to me a month or two months ago and I'm like, oh crap, I forgot to, I didn't even see this. You know, um, mm-hmm. I need to be better at that. Uh, obviously. Um, you know, and prior to prioritizing things. And so what's the most important thing here? And, you know, for me, this is my 32nd year guiding, believe it or not, 40, you know, mm-hmm. in late forties now. And, you know, I started guiding when I was 16 and, um, it's, uh, being that I'm getting in closer to my fifties and looking at the, uh, the end game for me, um, I'm, I'm looking at other ways to, to, uh, be able to, like Lefty taught me um, to to focus areas and other parts of the industry to be able to make a living, and you know I'm mm-hmm. doing a lot more uh, clinics, a uh, lot more classes, a lot more the stuff that kind of the people that's come before me um, are, have done. You know, like what Lefty did, and and um, people like Flip Pallet and Clow, Bob Clouser and and Bob Popovics, and where they would they would teach and show what they what they have learned and you know Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of the next chapter in my life to do more of those things and um you know that's going to require me to be a little more organized and and not that i don't want to be on the water every day um i do that's where i feel at home and feel the most relaxed you know i'm I'm shy by nature so going and doing these public events and talks is not my favorite thing to do even though i've done a bunch of them um it's, it's one of those things. It's just not my comfort zone. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate the opportunities and, you know, I I always want to try to face my fears and get over the anxiety of speaking in front of a lot of people. And, um, Mm -hmm. and and I've made myself do that, but I always thought that I'd, you know, I would eventually get over that fear and it's not really a fear now. It's just more of an anxiety, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, I've done, quite a few and 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 once you kind of get over that first minute or two the, the the butterflies go away and you and you know what you know and it's it's a very important to me especially as I was taught by 
all these icons to to share it. Um, it's important mm-hmm. for me to do that. And there's there's a lot of people that I'm friends with in, in in the industry that are doing a good job of it as well. And you know, I think it's important for us as stewards of of not just fly fishing but of angling in general that we share it and try to get as many people into this industry now as possible because the more awareness that we have the the more people are going to mm-hmm. love what we have and we can protect it you know that's that's mm-hmm. that's another area that I want to go into more and more is trying to trying to share what's going on and what I'm seeing in my environment um a perfect example for me is our smallmouth bass um which in my opinion was one of the best in the country um and now mm-hmm. is is dying um it you know uh on days you can still go out there and catch good numbers of fish but it's still you know 25 years ago it was nothing for two anglers to go out in my boat fly fishing and catch 100 bass no problem Hmm. now a great day is 25 fish maybe 30 with 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 two Hmm. with two anglers and that's just not normal and you know the environment's changed so much and I'm not going to get into the whole, you know, one side versus the other, but uh, I'm just seeing changes in, in what's going on, whether this is a, a normal change that happens or whatever, and we're just going through this or uh, this period, or or it's, you know, global changing that um, this might be the new new, right? So yeah. I, I just know one thing, in the past 10, 12 years, we have not had a successful spawn in the James and, and New Rivers, and you're seeing a decline in numbers for one, but uh it's just it's you know i look at my clients that i've been guiding for years and they're looking at you it's like you know this isn't as cool as it used to be i'm like i know so it's made me forced me to look at it as an environmental responsibility especially as a steward of the river to try to bring light to some of this stuff and you know i'm not it's not trying to condemn other guys that are trying to make a living on it i just feel like it's you know for clients that have an experience or anglers that haven't experienced what I saw 25 plus years ago or 20 years ago or 18, 15 years ago and seeing what it is now, it's, it's disturbing, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's, that's part of, of taking care of what we have and making sure, um, being in the position I'm in now to make sure that we shed light on this kind of stuff. Right. So, um, you know, people like flip pouts, a prime example of, of someone that's really trying to share what he knew and saw in Florida and now what you have going on down there. Um, mm-hmm. it's important that we try to bring light to it and, and try to try to fix the problem or slow it down, you know? So, yeah, I, th- I think that's really well said. I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the clinics and kind of how you approach education, but, but before that, I really want to dive in and get a little bit of a deep dive on muskie, you know, because I, I've never fished for muskie and, um, you know, I've obviously read things and seen people talk about it and everything. And, and I just first, you know, you've, you've been able to travel and there's a lot of different species that you could have, uh, focus this season on as far as you, you could travel all around the world and do tons of hosted trips, but you obviously love musky fishing. I'm curious for you, what's the, what's the draw there? Why musky? Um, for me, muskies are, uh, they're known as a fish of 10,000 casts. And, and my, my big thing is, uh, another thing I, I will take, um, this is, you know, the, the evolution of an angler 
um, is you just want to catch a fish and whether it be on fly or whatever. And we'll just, since we're on do fly 99% of the time, um, we'll talk about that. You just want to catch a fish on a fly and then you want to catch a bunch of fish on fly. Then you want to catch a big fish on fly. And eventually you get to a point where you just want to catch them how you want to catch them. And for me, as I've went through that progression, not only as an angler, but as a guide, you know, I guided for years for trout and doing the whole nymph game with the indicators and all that. And that's a very successful way of doing it. Um, I would lose interest really quickly doing that because, uh, you know, if you do it day in and day out, it gets very old. So me being blessed in this area to be able to fish for trout part of the year, then switch it over to stripers during the same time that you have excellent trout fishing and then moving into the spring and summer for smallmouth bass. And then for me, uh, muskie season is late fall through the winter months and, um, muskies was the kind of the ultimate challenge. And, uh, when I was very young in high school, I saw Larry Dahlberg's hunt for big fish show and he was up in Canada chasing muskies, um, and just using his Dahlberg diver and, and, and catching muskies up there. And I'm like knowing that at the James and new rivers and the Shenandoah and all the, and the Potomac rivers we have here in Virginia, I knew we had them here and it was something, Hey, I can do that. You know, and it, it's a big fish, it's a big animal. And, uh, I want to, I want to learn that. And it was a goal of mine very early on. It's like, you know, it took a while to get to that point, but, uh, the progression of that as a fly designer was very important. Um, I, mm-hmm. I feel like to make yourself as a whole angler, you should understand the fish that you're, you, you are targeting first. And that goes back to what we were talking about observation and, um, not only as an angler, but just as, as a human, um, just looking at everything and try to, and I always try to do that instead of jumping and getting angry about a topic or whatever, I kind of try to look at all angles. Um, that's, mm-hmm. that's, I think it's important as, as a human too. I'm, I'm not, you know, obviously I've been wrong a lot in my life, but it, you know, I know I'm a whole lot more wrong when I, I don't think about something and I just react. Right. And that, and that's kind of, mm-hmm. that's kind of how we try to fool fish. If you look at it that way, a lot of times, and I'm not going to call it a reaction bite because a reaction bite is, is used too often because, um, really what's happening is every time you throw something to a fish, whether it be live bait or artificial or fly, they react positively or negatively to that offering. Right. So it's always a reaction. It may not be a positive reaction. So what Mm -hmm. you're, what you're looking for are triggers. What are the triggers that are involved for these fish? And, the one thing I learned with musky fishing, being the fish of 10,000 casts, um, I would probably put a permit in that. You know, a lot of times, you know, I know not being a permit angler, but I do know talking to people that spend a lot of their time focusing on permit that, you know, there are flies that work well, but it's also presentation and finding the right fish and reading body language and all that kind of stuff. But the more you understand their behaviors and, and what they like, and, and this is going back to muskies. That was the big thing for me is, uh, is not, not being afraid to fail. And, and muskies mm-hmm. is all about failing. You know, another part of my life, I was a, a big golfer growing up and golf is all about failure and, um, it's 90% failure. Then you have success, you know, and 
you know, that's one game that you'll never master and fishing. I don't think you'll ever master it either, but you could get very good at it. And, and a lot of it's just keeping your eyes open. Like Dahlberg said, not looking through keyholes and musky was Mm -hmm. a a eye opener for that because I tied a bunch of flies and didn't really have any, anybody to teach me how to do it. And I had to take what I was seeing with conventional lures and Larry comes down every year still and fishes with me for muskies. And we'll spend a couple days catching live bait, whether it be suckers or chubs and, uh, using those. And, and what that does is that teaches me and it allows me to know that I know where they are. And, and, and my observations are right. Whether you catch them on fly or not, they're there. And that's Mm. what I think a lot of people don't see is they don't see the whole, a lot of people catch muskies by casting. You just cast enough, you're going to eventually catch one. What I've learned is I know where they are, and just because you don't catch them in that spot right then and there doesn't mean they're not there. Uh, most of the mm-hmm. time, muskies are sleeping, and, and that's what people don't understand. I've seen it. I've seen them in all different parts of the seasons. I've been, you know, we, have, we are blessed to have super clear water, and what I learned the most about muskies is when I wasn't fishing for them. I would, hmm. I would spend times during smallmouth bass season and go and check out spots I knew muskies were and, and seeing how they were, what they were doing at that particular time. And I'd always make a point in the spring to, to do the same thing and in the uh, early fall, late fall, and, and just see where they were in those areas at that time. And hmm. that taught me a lot about their behavior. And um, so I would apply that to the different tactics that we used to catch them. And for me, most of it is fly, but I always like, I always like to see how they, they react to a live bait. Then you can take a lure, different types of lures and seeing those different built in triggers of those lures and then adapt them to fly. And, you know, muskies try to be a full-time guide for muskies backing yourself in a corner because you're fishing to a, (laughs) you know, you're fishing for a fish that doesn't have to eat on a daily basis. Once they get to a certain size, it's just mm-hmm. uh, they are they are the apex predator in any body of water that they live in. So, you know, I had this nice discussion with a client that's good friends with a biologist, and he was telling me that uh, the biologist um, was saying that muskies do eat on a daily basis. And I was like, you know, I don't agree with that because I've seen muskies setting in the same spots day after day and having sand built over their back because they've been dormant sleeping for a long period of time. And you can't tell me that sand builds up on a fish's back in, in a half a day or a, co- a couple hours. Mm-hmm. So I know, I mean, it's just like, it's, I think at a certain time in their lives in different parts of the world, if they don't have big baits to feed on that gets them full, they may have to feed a little more uh, readily, but being mm-hmm. where I am and the, and the food sources that are available there's a lot bigger food items like big suckers and fall fish and su- and chubs that these fish, once they reach a certain size, that they eat when they want to. And I think I totally believe that and I've seen it and, you know, I, I find it, you know, I'm not saying I'm always right, but I feel very strongly by observation that it's, this is what's going on. So that's, all, that's mm-hmm. one reason muskies are very difficult to catch because they do not have to eat just because you're there. They, mm-hmm. they may have had a chub right before you got there, or they may have had a, a food, a big food item that might be 15, 17, 18, 20 inches long a day or two earlier. So what they do is they'll feed on that and they'll go digest it much like a snake will. And, and then once that's digested, 
it's not to say that if a food item comes by them and they're not going to take that opportunity to eat. But I think a big part of it is they spend a lot of their time sleeping. And sometimes it takes a while to get that particular lure or bait or fly in their field of awareness to get them to start triggering on what you're trying mm-hmm. to do. And, and that's kind of me observing and studying and knowing these fish species, nobody teaching me this and, and, but seeing it through my eyes as an angler, um, mm-hmm. and, and having a lot of failure. Um, I, I spent a lot of days early, early on 20 plus years ago, not catching these fish, having follows, having fish, you know, me having an hour or two on the bow trying to cast and cast and cast and with on with no success and then having my buddy who's a who is a conventional and fly guy would go up there and catch a muskie in the same area that I was fishing for two hours catch one in the first five or six casts so it taught me early on it's like well these there's a lot of built-in triggers to these baits these artificial lures that will make these fish go how can I create that same deal in flies so, mm-hmm. like I said, early on in my life, it, it taught me a lot about fish behavior and, and having a fish like that to use as a, and have the classroom that I have had, um, has taught me so much about, um, about angling and, and, and fly design, lure design. And, and it's, I wouldn't change that for the world. Um, it's, it's, I think a very underappreciated and overlooked part of our sport. Um, whether you are fly or conventional, because like I said, a lot of people, when they go out there, they cast by numbers and eventually will mm-hmm. run into a fish. Um, I try to approach it, approach musky fishing at a totally different angle where I've learned where they are at certain times of the seasons. And I'm going to target it, it. It's a different deal where like, if you, if you're on a body of water and you're only in the fish 5% of the day, yeah, your percentage is going to go way down. But if you're mm-hmm. in the fish 100% of the day and, and you know what, where they are and you try different angles and you may go to another spot, you're in the, you're in the fish 90% of the day. So mm-hmm. your chance of catching one is increased 90% versus if you're only in them 5% of the day, you have a 5% chance of really catching one. Not to say you won't. Mm-hmm. You may have 100% in that 5% area, but I'd much rather be in 100% of muskies hundred percent of the day or 90% yeah. of the day. Right. So that's a big part of it, but, uh, it's also understanding how they want to be fed and, and what, what, you know, ambient light and water temperatures and where they move to when the water's up at a certain level and drops off to certain places. And a, a prime example of that last year was we had this big shuffle of the cards, um, right before Larry came down and doing the live bait deal where, our normal water flows are around 1500 CFS um, at this particular part of the river, and it was around 6,000. And a lot of these mm. places that got these fish super condensed, and we dropped uh, baits. We had two boats, and we had dropped baits down, and we catch. It, it took us a little bit to figure out where they ended up going, and some of them would move long distances to certain areas, and it was it was very eye opening. Um, you know, uh, obviously when you have a big water push, fish are going to do a couple of things. They're either going to hunker down or, and, and stay where they are if they're happy there, or they're going to move to an area where the bait is. Right. So, uh, it was just very interesting to kind of, and I like, mm-hmm. that's one reason I like to look at all aspects of, of fishing. Um, 
of, of the different styles. So we ended mm-hmm. up catching um, in this one small area. We ended up, you know, you drop four baits down, you catch four muskies, you know, and it's like that's pretty cool to be able to take all the knowledge that you've learned in over years and, and being able to just to know you're right. I mean, I much mm-hmm. prefer to catch them on fly, um, but you know, it's kind of it's funny being a fly angler how people look down on you because you did that, and and that's something <laughs> that I just don't. You don't see it as much in saltwater as you do in freshwater, and I think it's that's mm-hmm. kind of a real negative in our sport. It's like you can't become a better angler, male or female, if you don't know everything there is to know about that fish and their behavior mm-hmm. using all types of equipment. So, if you know, I think when we choose to fly fish, we're kind of choosing to do it the hardest way a lot of times. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. the best way to do it, but it's not always always the best way to do it. Right. Um, so it's definitely the hardest way to do it. And that's what I love about it. You know, it's, uh, it's like taking a longbow versus a, you know, a recurve or, or, or using a rifle or a shotgun. It's, you can do yeah. choose however way you want to hunt, but at the end of the day, it's all about how, how you, and that's the last part of an angler's evolution is you catch them how you want to. And, um, mm-hmm. that's something I really enjoy doing. And it's taught me a ton about fish behavior and it's, and, and, the effect of that has allowed me to create a lot of different fly designs. It's helped me in my, my career. And, um, uh, I guess, you know, my pocketbook too. Right. I mean, it's, uh, definitely allowed me to, to, to explore different avenues in the industry because I don't have to guide all the time to make a living. Now I've, I've been able to create these designs and share them with the world and to be able to make a little bit of royalty on them helps, me be able to create more stuff. I have a lot of stuff coming down the pipe, um, which, you know, COVID has really not helped a lot on that side of things because of, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody's kind of been on keep the train on the rail right now. And it's kind of hard to evolve things when you're trying to just keep things steady. So, so, but um, it's held things back for about two years now, but we have some really cool stuff coming down the pipe and I'm excited about that stuff. And, but the musky game, man, it's, um, it's really showed me a lot and it's helped me, as an angler targeting other species, um, you know, I've, uh, been able to help figure out things in other parts of the world with tarpon, um, and, and other fish species, uh, you know, that's, that's, I've just taken from what I've learned in fish behavior and applied it to that and shared it. And it's, it's, it's really cool to see the timing world over in Mongolia and other parts of the world using my musky tactics to catch mm. these giant salmonoids you know it's uh wow so i mean it's a yaku um who we all know the world traveler um reached out to me several years ago and told me you know using my t-bones and the game changers for timing was a a true game changer in their ability to catch them on a regular basis which i love Mm. i love hearing um and it's really we're all connected and and sharing that stuff and and bringing it forward and, and and now you're seeing all kinds of really awesome giant predator fish being caught on really big flies which uh is super cool to see you know absolutely yeah i was curious too you know you talked about how what you've learned obviously doing one style of fishing translates well over to others and um i even saw a quote uh in researching for this from larry that was talking about you know you you don't 
you don't stand on people's coattails, you stand on their shoulders. Yep. And I thought that was really good and just the way that we can learn and grow from each other. If you and I went out on, on the boat for an afternoon to fish and you were thinking about not, not just trying to catch a fish, but you were more so thinking about, okay, I, I want to teach Hunter some things that I feel like are going to help him be a better fly fisher for the rest of his life. What are those things that you would try to pass along or instill? Uh, there's several, um, like if we were setting up in an area for musky, uh, I would, I would teach you where the fish should be and where they really are. Um, and how I would like to approach it, how I'd want the fly to, to, to be delivered and how I would want it to be swam by that fish. Um, and it may mm-hmm. take several times, but you'd be surprised at how many times I've been to a spot where we'll catch a muskie on the first five or six casts. Um, mm. last year we had nine first cast fish. Um, wow. so that's one thing I would, it's all about presentation, how the fly, the design of it and the triggers built into the fish and how the whole process of delivering it, how I want it approaching the fish, how I want the, fi- the, the several different parts of the cast or the retrieve that the fish may eat it and be prepared for all those things. Um, the, biologic makeup of the fish that we're targeting and how it feeds and how amazing it as big as the muskies can get and then get up in the upper 50 inch range um Mm. how soft the bites are where it feels like you just you have a a piece of grass or a leaf on your fly um it feels like that where a lot of people would not even realize it and if they feel anything different like that to strip fast and fast and as long as hard as they possibly can then all of a sudden that leaf gets a little heavier and then all of a sudden you start feeling weight more weight and then you start feeling head shakes how many fish i lost over the years not realizing that i had a musky eat and i just thought Mm. i had grass or a leaf or a branch that i'd snagged um Mm -hmm. but the biggest thing i would say and i think one of the you know is understanding the different lines that we use uh to deliver the flies to the target and to have them fish correctly. You know, the flies are the most important part of the puzzle, but deliver, mm-hmm. but delivering them and having the right tool for the job at hand is, I think, the most overlooked aspect of the sport other than the fly. Um, you know, there's so many different type of lines. If you go look at it, like I work with Scientific Angler. If you go look at uh, their catalog, it's pretty daunting as, a, as a, a casual angler to look at this stuff and it's like, I don't even know where to start. What does all this stuff mm-hmm. mean? Um, so I would explain why we're using the type of lines that we're using. Um, you know, and if we, as we progress through the pool that we're fishing, how I may change from a faster sinking line to a, a, a more moderate sinking line to an intermediate. Um, just because we need to fish the fly at a certain depth to keep it there, you know, so on, so on, and so on, based on water levels, current speeds, mm-hmm. fish behavior, water temperatures, all those things play a big key in the whole arena of that environment at that time. Um, mm-hmm. But but the other side of it is is delivering it and and really teaching you casting large flies is an art in itself, and it is not the exact. It's not the same game as throwing you know, a dry fly or a small tarpon fly or, or whatnot, throwing a fly that could be up to 15 plus inches long, it takes a, a whole different casting style to make that happen. And teaching that is a big part of my daily, uh, 
part of guiding and teaching. When somebody comes out to try to catch a muskie for the first time, that's never thrown a fly bigger than five, six inches. You know, that is a huge part of what I do on a daily basis and teaching him and, and being able to work with, uh, Temple Fork Outfitters and designing a rod to do this, uh, this the big fly rod that I have out now, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, and, and adding the different things to it has allowed us to do it better and applying the different lines, working with scientific angler and having the right tapers and the heads and, and being able to pull, you know, there's a lot of things that's evolved over the years um, where, to be honest, you know, I, like a lot of the people that's been in the sport are, are upset with the way lines are made now because the grain weight windows are so much different than they were 20 years ago. But so, mm-hmm. but so are the, the resins and, and, and the graphites, you know, the graphites haven't changed much, but the resins have, which has allowed us to have rods that will recoil and, and rebound much faster and be able to handle heavier grain weight windows. And to be honest, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people that are into the sport now, really don't recognize what a true eight weight was or five weight was back in the day. And, and the lines and the flies and stuff that we're using now are, are really don't, don't really parallel with that, you know, and some people Mm -hmm. say that's a problem and it may be a problem in the traditional sense. And, you know, I've never been, you know, I always will respect tradition and where it came from. And like you said, we're, we're um, not riding on the coattails, but we're standing on those that came before us. Larry said that to me years ago, and it, it really, you know, I said that to him on the water when we were fishing up in, uh, on Wollaston Lake up in northern Saskatchewan. I said that to him on the boat. So I really appreciate mm-hmm. you allowing me to ride your coattails all these years. And that's when he said it to me. And, it, mm-hmm. and once he said that, I was like, you know, you're right. And, but it, it doesn't mean just because we're changing things. And, but we're also, you're also seeing with social media and, it's, you know, people like Lefty and, and, and Dahlberg probably doesn't get enough credit for a lot of the things that he created and going to these exotic places that we're traveling to now. He helped discover mm-hmm. a lot of these places, um, which is amazing. If you go look back at some of the crazy places that people go to in the world, Dahlberg was there way long before these people that are going there now, you know. And mm. so taking, you know, Dahlberg's approach with musky fishing is his mega divers and his Dahlberg divers. And he applying that stuff to all kinds of fish species. Um, that, that taught me just by watching his shows years ago, um, that a lot of this is possible. And just because the tradition of fly fishing going back, just using furs, feathers, and, you know, the traditional side of things lefty, none of these guys would want us to stay in that arena. It's fine. Mm-hmm. If that's what you want to do, it's fine to use, bamboo rods and if you just want to still use cat gut and silk and all that i mean that is that's the way you want to do it but don't look mm-hmm. down on people because they want to do it a different way and and larry thinks i'm crazy throw, throwing these big flies to these fish because you could you know i don't understand why you guys want to do this but i get it it's the way you want to do it he goes but i don't want to you go that's 70 some years old he doesn't want to he's caught enough muskies he doesn't need to catch them on a 10 12 inch fly casting mm-hmm. you know several hours to do it um and that's that speaks to something that i've noticed a lot on just doing this podcast and trying to learn from others is it, you know with fly fishing there's always been a love for innovation and you know whether that's looking at the guys who were down in the keys who were you know people throwing pulling platforms and inventing the modern approach to flats fishing that we know today 
And then, you know, I think sometimes there's kind of this tension or this balance between we're in a sport that loves innovation. And then at some point people just kind of turn off the switch to some extent and they kind of, they, they, they participate, they innovate, they're in it. And then they kind of want to stay in it because they found what they like. So it's, it's always interesting because it's like, I've talked to a lot of guys who are older, who they were doing things when they were young and innovating um, that are now those are kind of standard things. And when they were young, people were giving them a hard time. And then now they're older and a lot of them are giving young guys a hard time. And I think there's just always that, that tension between the two that um, you spoke really, I feel like really well to it, kind of how I feel and how a lot of people feel, which is as long as you're respecting the fishery and you're respecting others, you can do it the way that you want. There's, we're really not going to accomplish much by looking, looking down on somebody else for, you know, something that's not hurting the fishery or hurting other anglers experience, you know, and I think that's, that's really well put. Yeah. If you're okay with it, I, I could I could listen to stories about uh, Larry and, and Lefty all day. I would I would love to do that, but um, just kind of as we wind up, could we shoot through some rapid fire questions and just kind of uh, kind of poke around there for a little bit? Oh, absolutely, for sure. My first one is obviously you're known for the gummy fly and you're known for the game changer, and I know you have some really exciting things coming out in the next few years. Uh, but as somebody who obviously has a passion for tying flies, what's your favorite fly? to tie and use that you didn't design? Um, I would, well, it would, for me, it would be, uh, depend on species. Um, you know, I love, I love catching big smallmouth bass on poppers. I love to do that. Um, you know, the clousers obviously, and the deceivers, the divers, I would say those are my top three, but probably, um, one that I really didn't cover is, you know, what really, changed everything not try to get too long-winded on this but was bob popovics and his designs uh that he created and, mm -hmm. and using his beast flies i love i love the traditional side of our sport and 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 using you know stuff that's been around for a long time now and and you know popovics uh i love his i still love his beast flies and his hollow style design of tying i've still loved to do that kind of stuff um, so, you know, it'd probably be those top five for me for sure. You know, hmm. I can't, I probably no. can't go down to one, you know, it's, <laughs> well, luckily it's metaphorical yeah, or, or right. you know, not a literal, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to hold you to it. <laughs> um, you, you, you mentioned fly lines and I'd seen, and kind of, I've read some of the stuff that you've, that you've put out on, on fly lines and fly line selection. I think that's something that's very intimidating to, to anglers. I guess there's just a sense where you walk into a fly shop and, and you're new, you know, let's say you're a new fly angler and you walk in a fly shop and there's all these different flies and that's kind of fun to look at and look through and, and fill up a, a box filled with different flies that, you know, are aesthetically pleasing. And then you walk over to the area where all the different fly lines are. And let's just say this, this shop has hundreds and, you know, different fly lines like, like the catalog. And then you just become kind of overwhelmed and maybe you're looking at the box and saying, okay, I'm targeting this species. This species is on the box. I guess I'll do that one. W what is like just kind of your, your elementary class or what are the big blocks that people need to think about when selecting a fly line? Uh, all right. Seasonal, seasonal changes, meaning water levels during certain times of the year for a specific fish species. Right. So, and it could be saltwater. So tidal changes where the fish are during those, those particular times. Right. Um, 
they may drop off into channels where you have to use a fast sinking line to get them during that particular time. And when they're up on flats, you use floating lines. So knowing mm-hmm. the changes throughout the day, throughout the seasons. So don't be afraid. I mean, there's never one tool for the job. There's mm-hmm. always a better tool for certain situations within a job. So you need to ask yourself, it's never one of those things where I, I'm going to be able to get away with one tool to do a variety of jobs. And that's what you're looking at when you go fishing. You you have different situations every day uh, based on light conditions, water temperatures, water levels. So I would always, first off, ask your, your professional in that area. It's very important mm-hmm. to have a local place to be able to go. You know, it's, it's great to order mm-hmm. stuff online. It's easy, but without supporting your local places, we're not going to have that expertise. It'll be able to help shorten that learning curve. Right. So mm-hmm. that's important first off, but you know, you're, you're probably, you're going to need three different types of lines usually in fishing. You're going to need a sinking line an intermediate and a floating. So I would, so I would first start there. Um, don't cheat yourself and, and cheap yourself to make your fishing experience not, not memorable. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's where a lot of people, you know, Flip wrote an article about the last 40 feet, you know, which I thought was very interesting. And it, and it brings a lot of light where you could pay all this money to get you, but you have to make that last 40 feet happen. So uh, that that brings to what we're talking about with lines. I mean, that's uh, so important on de- delivering the everything to that last 40 feet or 50 feet or 30 feet or whatever you may be doing. And mm-hmm. having the right line makes all the difference in the world matched to the fly that you're using for that particular day. So... Uh, we we could we could talk hours about that and you know um, and I enjoy doing that because I've learned based on years of experience of why that works and why it doesn't. Mm. No, I think that's super helpful. That's a great starting place too. Is there anything that you I, I know you talked about going to local shops? I agree with that. But are there other articles or books or or anything that that you would point people to that want to learn a little bit more about? Let's just say line leaders, the whole approach there that you just mentioned. Yeah, the, um, you know, before Lefty passed, uh, he and Ed uh, Jabarowski did a really cool video on on fly casting, which I think is it covers everything that you ever want to know. I mean, PhD on it um, uh, about the cast itself. But there, there's been, you know, the, the the fact that we have Fly Fisherman magazine that we could go pick up at newsstands or online nowadays. I mean, there's so much media outlets out there that help us learn much faster than what I learned when I was, you know, 30 plus years ago. Um, so we have that going for us. Uh, there's so many, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I could go on about different books and, and whatnot, um, from flies to fly designs to, to all of that. Um, it's so many for me, uh, to, to say, put it all one right now. I could probably have to get back to you on those to be. Ex- yeah, no, that's, that's no problem. Um, my next question is if, if, uh, if you could go back to yourself right at the beginning of all of this, what advice would you give yourself? Just broad, big picture advice for, for life and what you're doing. A lot of what we covered, um, just to make sure you stay focused on what you, what these people that have taught you, um, not Mm -hmm. look, not looking through keyholes, having an open mind and not being, not being afraid to fail because failure is, what has allowed me to get where I am today, um, whether, mm-hmm. whether that's positive or negative too. Um, but it's the failure has allowed me to make some of the fly designs 
and to be able to catch a lot of the cool fish that I've been able to catch is not is learning from failure and succeeding mm-hmm. from that. Um, that's something I would definitely go back, but I would also go back and say, Hey, look, man, you, you got to get yourself more organized, you know, and, <laughs> and don't be a procrastinator, but that's, that's part of my nature. Um, I, I've got yeah. so many things going on in my head all the time that, uh, it's hard for me to stay focused on, on, on things. And I've worked better when I have a, a deadline, like I usually wait to the end. Um, but, it, but I do mm-hmm. better when I know I have to get it done. Like if I have three months to do it, um, I'll usually wait to the last part, but I do a better job at that for some reason, but who knows? Mm-hmm. You like, yeah, you, you like the pressure or that. I think that's common, but you know, you, you talked that you've talked a lot about failure and I think like this fear of, of failure. And I think that I have felt that in myself a, a lot in life. And I think I've met a lot of people on the way who they feel the same way, whether it's, you know, they want to try something new, but they're, they're fearful. They're going to look dumb, you know, that someone's going to see the way they're casting or see them doing something wrong. And, and somehow that's going to, you know, be the end of their world. But, you know, in in this sport, I think that, you know, that's, that's very common. What advice would you give to somebody who really struggles with fear and struggles with, you know, the idea of failure, getting through failure? Yeah. Face, face your fears, um, whether be in life's struggles or whatnot. Um, you know, uh, for me, it's like we'll get staying in the fishing realm. I mean, it's, uh, it's okay to fail. I mean, uh, I mean, I do it on a daily basis and, but you just got to look at it to where, you know, there's been a lot of people that's come into this sport that's failed a lot. You know, all these icons that we've, you know, read about and whatnot, they all started in the same place. You know, they may have mm. different abilities, um, that's made them special, but, uh, we all start somewhere and it's okay to, mm-hmm. it's okay to fail and learn. It's just where you start, where you just have that attitude where I know it all and, and not learning from your mistakes mm-hmm. is where the problems occur. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing I would talk about is that is, you know, having clients that's been on my boat that would not listen no matter what I told them. It's like, it's your day. If that's what you want to do. That's, that's your day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm here to help, but I'm not going to, beat you down because it's your day at the end of the day. Right. So, but Mm -hmm. people like that don't learn and they usually don't get any better. So that's no, I think that's, I think that's great advice. My next one, this is a little lighthearted and fun, but uh, on a normal day on the water for you, I I don't know if you've ever seen those games where you see like a huge thing of M&Ms and you got to guess how many's in there. Um, I'm guessing that this is going to be similar to, to that type of game for you. But if you had to guess how many different flies you bring on the boat with you on the average day, what, what would you say? Different flies, five, five different styles. Um, a couple colors within those styles, but five different styles. Mm. Oh, that was not as many as I thought. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So but, yeah, uh, I've got, I've kind of got my program dialed, you know, pretty, mm-hmm. pretty tight. So I'll have five styles, sometimes four, depending on water levels. But, but I'm, mm-hmm. I have a couple color variations of those styles. So mm-hmm. I'll have a hybrid changer for right now that's kind of the mainstay. Um, and within that hybrid style, um, I'll have a hover changer, which is a, it looks the same, but it has built-in buoyancy with deer body hair and all that helps me keep that fly in a shallower zone longer for the fish to stay in their field of awareness. You know, and mm-hmm. Then I have a, you know, have what's called a polar express changer, which is a smaller, thinner profile. That's a little less, 
uh, threatening, I would say, and in, in more of a finesse style when you have low clear water where you don't mm-hmm. need a bigger profile and a bigger um, presence in the water. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's that kind of stuff. So, uh, but, but yeah, I've, I've got it kind of dialed in pretty good, you know, and I'll have, like I said, a couple color variations to, to go with those ambient light and watercolor and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of, you know, in saltwater fishing, there's, there's, you know, most people don't have tons of different things in their box that I've been with, but you know, freshwater can be any, I've seen guys just have like hundreds of <laughs> variations, mostly for trout, obviously, but no, that's helpful. My, my, my last question is, you know, you, you uh, you kind of talked about you're, you're in the season of life where obviously you love being on the water and, but you're also trying to figure out kind of what does the next season of life look like as you kind of to use golf, which I know that you played a lot growing up, you're kind of approaching the back nine. Uh, what are you most excited about that, that you're working on that's coming down the pipe for you in, in this next season of life? Uh, the fly designs, uh, that I have coming out with Flyman fishing company, um, and working with all the companies I'm working with, like I, I'm really blessed to be able to be ambassadors for a lot of the companies in the industry. But the, but the, you know, for me, being an ambassador, I've always told every the company I've worked with is I want to be a part of the family and be a part of the process. And I really mm-hmm. enjoy that and getting out of the middle seat or the back of the boat, um, whether you're pulling or you're um, rowing. Uh, I want to. I want to be a part of the future and, and, and take what I've learned from failure and, and put mm-hmm. that towards the future and, and definitely hope to make it a much better place than where it was when, when I started. But the, the fly designs, and that's, that's my big thing. I love that. And like I said, I have a bunch of stuff coming out there, but I also have a lot of designs that go with mm-hmm. fly design as well. So um, I have a whole lot of stuff that I've just been setting, waiting on um, and just I'm looking forward to seeing what the fly fishing and fly tying community community does with that, along with the conventional world. I have some conventional stuffs coming too. So, uh, awesome, man. Well, that's, I mean, that's all really exciting. I, I look forward just to, to watching and I, I appreciate you just for carving out some time today. I know, I know you, you got to get on the water here soon, but I appreciate you for carving out some time just to talk musky and fly tying and sharing your story. Oh, absolutely. I really appreciate it. Honored to be on. Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is The Captain's Collective. legendary shows in the outdoors is on waypoint tv don't miss primo's truth about hunting wednesday nights at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment when you go out there and the fish are where you think they are any one of these casts could be the bite it's the most exciting fishing that i know right here at hawks cave Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.